Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Nolan. I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. And I'm Rabbi Bluth. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. And what it means to be Jewish and human in today's world. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. And the way we feel about stuff. And we'll try to be as real as possible. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. And maybe we'll even come out being better people for it. The beauty of the cyclical nature of our Hebrew calendar is that as we move through the seasons and holy days and months, we revisit universal themes each year as new people. In this episode, we are re-airing the podcast about this month from last year. We know that old wisdom lands in new ways each time we return to it, and we invite curiosity and reflection to see how the wisdom of this month lands anew with you today. Whether you have been with us from the very beginning or are a new listener, we would love to hear how this month's episode lands for you. Share your thoughts and feedback on the Living Jewishly pages on Instagram at living.jewishly or Facebook. And if you're a member of our School of Living Jewishly community, we'd love to be in dialogue with you on the SoulJ platform. Enjoy! Welcome to Sacred Time a podcast from Living Jewishly, where we explore the healing art of the Hebrew calendar. My name is Bluth. And my name is Ganga Devi. And together we will be exploring the wisdom of each of the 12 months of the Hebrew calendar as they relate to our lives today. Our intention for this podcast is that it be rooted in tradition, blossoming into the relevance in the present moment, and lead us all to the ripening of a beautiful Jewish future. Welcome to the podcast for the month of ER. Welcome. So, Bluth, would you please tell us, as our resident rabbi, tell us a little bit about the month of ER. Where are we situated within the Hebrew calendar? So, in the Hebrew calendar, we are situated right now in between the holidays of Passover and Shavuot. It's a particularly special time with a lot of temporal ritual built in, because we're in this time what we call counting the Omer. And so between Passover and Shavuot, we actually have a daily count, a 49-day count, where we are counting each day out loud. We say what day it is, and we head from Passover, which was our time of freedom, freedom from slavery, and we are counting up, preparing ourselves for and shifting towards Shavuot, which is our holiday of receiving the Torah. So we're going from a time of freedom from slavery and shifting towards freedom through the receiving of the Torah, freedom through our relationship with Torah. You know, ER, they say ER stands for Ani Hashem Rafecha, which means I am God, your healer. So inherent in the month of ER is an energy of healing, an energy of development and of growth as we shift sort of from one holiday to the next and we count each day, we're given guidance to prepare ourselves for where we are heading. We're given a structure for contemplation and integration 
as we move from this time where we tasted freedom, right? Freedom from Egypt, this sort of seminal big moment of freedom. And now we take that experience and day by day we begin integrating it. And we heal and we grow and we develop and we develop this vessel for the next holiday, which is Shavuot, when we receive the Torah, when we become in relationship with this text, this holy work, this holy thing that really binds us. And that relationship through the Torah is our relationship with God, is our relationship with each other as a community. So it's this very special time, this time of healing. And back in the day, all of our rituals were framed as agricultural rituals. And so we went from actually Passover, which had a barley offering, towards Shavuot, which is the wheat offering. And during this time, we would actually count sheaves of barley as we head towards the sort of anticipation of what begins the wheat harvest. So we have both this kind of land base and this spiritual practice right now of counting, of shifting from one time to the next. And, you know, in, I think if we look around us, we feel the awakening of spring Passover sort of started our spring season. And so we're counting up and getting ready. And just one more thing to say on the Omer is that we count each day according to this Kabbalistic structure that gives each day a quality or two qualities that we're working on. And that's how we count through. There's so many layers of of meaning to all of this. And I know that the deeper I go into the study of earth-based Judaism and mystical Judaism and all of these different deeply interconnected angles through which we can approach our understandings of the, the wisdom of Judaism, the more nuanced and more deep and more incredible the, the many meanings become to me. And one of the things that this beautiful meeting of the counting of the sheaves of barley, you know, speaks to me is, you know, in, in the agricultural application, it's the counting of the sheaves of barley. In the mystical application that is perhaps more relevant to a lot of our lives these days, it is the counting of the Kabbalistic sephirot and, and just, you know, there's like so many layers of meaning there, but the, the kind of unifying thread that I hear in that and that that I make meaning of is is that it's about nourishment and it's about showing up for and making note of and counting as a way of kind of organizing our acknowledgement of the nourishment that is available to us. And when that was the sheaves of barley, that was like literally the amount of this important grain that we had to be able to feed our community. And we also have a profound wealth of spiritual nourishment that is available to us, that is in stores with us, and that is actually not as scarce as a crop would be. And so that's just, that's where my mind goes in the contemplation of both of these elements and seeing value and meaning and connection across the spectrum of of all of them. That's really helpful. And I hear in that, that when we count in this sort of spiritual sense, we can tap into the abundance of spiritual resource and an abundance of energy. So it's not a finite resource. It's actually an infinite resource. And it seems like all that it takes is to turn our attention towards it and to count and to mark this moment in time with mindful presence. Today is day one. Today is day two. Today is day three. And each day has associated sort of divine characteristics or psycho-spiritual characteristics that we're invited to to work with and to integrate and to, to think about. But really, that's guidance to tapping into something that is there, that is infinite, and that is available to us 
should we choose to be mindful about our growth and where we're coming from and where we're going to and where we are right now and, and how we'll best get there. Yes. And again, that's bringing in the emphasis of the freedom to and freedom through rather than just the freedom from. I think that a lot of the time we get really preoccupied with the thing that we're kind of fighting up against and the thing that we're trying to achieve liberation from and to have something that we are moving toward and that we are recognizing that we have resources to move toward is a really, really powerful element. And with that, I'm kind of curious, Bluth, if you might share with us a little bit about where we're going, what are we moving toward in this time, the sacred time? Yeah, so, you know, Shavuot, Again, it is both an agricultural holiday and more specifically how we celebrate it today, it's a holiday of receiving the Torah. And again, we were a people who were enslaved and we were freed and we wandered and we received the Torah and that kind of bound us in relationship to each other as a people and in relationship with God, with the divine, with our creator. And so on Shavuot, we honor this relationship, we honor the Torah. We honor our relationship with Torah, and it's a holiday full. Some people will stay up all night learning. They'll eat cheesecake. There's a whole dairy narrative to it. There's all these different aspects, but to me, the most simple yet deepest thing about Shavuot is that we are celebrating and honoring, and now, and I'll just interrupt myself to say, it's Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. These are the three pilgrimage holidays. So this was a holiday that the the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, the Jewish people would would do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in offering. So it's a huge holiday, and part of it is about you know offering what we have and and honoring that relationship with what is beyond us with God, and part of it is about celebrating, rejoicing, and deepening in our relationship with Torah. And now when I say Torah, you know, there's the Torah, which is the five books of Moses and the written scroll that we read from in synagogue. And yet, when I say Torah, I'm referring to something, something even bigger than the physical book, right? Torah is wisdom. Torah is the encapsulation of the revelation that happened on Sinai. And if that is a historical event or simply something mythological that we have sort of attributed sanctification to, Either way, if we think back to what was happening on Sinai with God giving Moshe the Torah, this was our first collective moment of revelation, of experiencing godliness, experiencing touching something that is beyond us. And so the Torah on one hand is stories, on the other hand it's wisdom in general, on the other hand it's the encapsulation in word of a mystical divine revelation experience. On the other hand it's a book of moral and ethical codes. So it is so much and it kind of binds us together as a people. And so when we're talking about receiving the Torah, it's not just that we receive the stories. It's not just that we received guidance to live a moral and ethical life. It is this living, breathing document that, more than a document, this sort of, this holy corpus that really contains our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with ourselves. It's full of creativity. It's full of spiritual wisdom. It's full of ethical wisdom. So it's, I guess I'm trying to say that it's a lot. And so to have a day where we're celebrating our relationship with this thing that has sort of bound us as a people in holiness 
and dictated in a way how we live and breathe and the stories that form us and the culture that forms us. It's, it's exciting. <laughs> I love that. And as somebody who personally, I don't, I don't think I've ever done anything to, to honor and practice. And I'm in the process of, of converting right now. So I'm like taking everything really seriously and really wanting to, to drop into this. And so I have a question that's kind of arising in me in hearing all of this of kind of a general question of how can we in the present moment, in the moment that we are in, in our own personal lives, in our own journeys, in our own struggles toward freedom, how can we receive the Torah now in this year, in this moment? And, you know, as you're exploring so many different meanings and understandings and ways of, of relating to and making meaning of Torah, I feel a lot of freedom actually in choosing, you know, how do I want to receive Torah now? And knowing that for the rest of my life, I will always be, have this opportunity renewed to receive the Torah, to go deeper into relationship with Torah. And I'm curious for you, Bluth, what does that look like for you? And how would you invite me and listeners and anyone into receiving Torah during this this sacred time? <laughs> yeah. So it's the question to be asking ourselves right now. Because if this is a time of counting up towards Shavuot, then what we're doing during this time is preparing ourselves as vessels to receive right? Strengthening ourselves so that we can contain the light that we're going to receive, let's say. So what we're doing right now is asking that question, right? How do I prepare myself to receive the Torah? How do I receive Torah? And what does it mean? You know, it's not a static object. This is a wisdom tradition that is alive and breathing and dynamic and ever-changing. So the question for today is, how do I receive Torah today? And where, while Shavuot might be the time that we ask that collectively, it is something that you can ask every single day, right? Which is, how do I receive this wisdom? How do I be in relationship with it? <laughs> but at the same time, as you ask that question, I felt like Shavuot is also called Chag Matan Torah Tenu, which means the holiday of the giving of our Torah. And so the holiday itself isn't called the time of receiving the Torah. It's actually marked by the time of the giving of the Torah. And it's not just the Torah, but it's Torah Tenu, meaning our Torah. So I think that the Torah Tenu is definitely a sort of signal to see the Torah as something that is collective and that it relates to each of us personally. It's not the unified Torah, the single thing. It's our Torah, our wisdom tradition. That signals to me a really beautiful message of belonging, just that linguistic distinction to that it's not the Torah, it's not objective Torah, it's not Torah like as an object, it's the Torah of belonging, that it is our, that is, it is collective, that is such a beautiful and clear and welcoming linguistic specification. Thank you for bringing that forward. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And the other and the other distinction is that it's called Chagmatan Torah, meaning the time of the giving of our Torah. I, I guess I just share that as a question. Like, it wasn't called the time of the receiving, it was called the time of the giving. So, you know, your question, how do we prepare ourselves for the receiving? It's interesting, because it, it feels very relational. It's like we prepare to receive, and the holiday is about giving. And there's a mutuality, a reciprocity, there, there's relationality here. So how do we prepare ourselves for the, this giving? You know, how do we open our hearts and our minds 
to this relationality, that there is something beyond us that is being offered to us, something new to inherit, to download, new but old. And so how do we prepare ourselves for that is is a great question. Yeah, well, and, and another question kind of comes to me in hearing that, because yes, of course, it is the divine that is doing the giving of the Torah. But also, you know, there's this other thread that just kind of occurred to me of the people who are blessed to be keepers of the Torah. This may also be seen as an opportunity for kind of a generosity of spirit in sharing the Torah with others. And I'm really struck in this moment of my life when I have so many incredible rabbis in my life that are supporting my my learning and my growth and my entering into this community, this peoplehood. And I am so humbled by the opportunities that I have to receive guidance and to receive wisdom and to receive uh, Torah from so many amazing wisdom keepers. And so I'm also just thinking of so many people who are holding meaning and holding wisdom and holding the Torah in many, many senses of that word that have an opportunity to renew their receiving from the divine, but also perhaps to share with others and to share wisdom with others. And I'm I'm kind of curious how that lands for you. Yeah. So how that lands is I'm I'm picturing the letter Aleph. So the first letter of the Ten Commandments is the letter Aleph, right? Anochi Hashem Elokecha. The, the first of the Ten Commandments being, I am the Lord your God. And some Hasidic masters teach that what was given on Mount Sinai was the, the actual download, the revelation download, was the letter Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet. And if you look at the letter Aleph, first of all, it symbolizes one. It's the first letter. It doesn't really have such a sound to itself. It's like an ah it's like a vowel sound. It's not the b, the bet. You know, the Torah itself begins with bereshit. It begins with the bet, which is the letter two, the letter of duality, of multiplicity, of the created world. The aleph is the letter of what is before the created world, the ani Hashem, this I am the Lord, your God. Aleph, alufo shalalam, the sort of the, the creator, the ruler, the source, the infinite source of all, the ein sof, the infinite and so Aleph is this representation of infinitude. And Aleph itself, the form of the Aleph is sort of looks like the Jewish yin-yang, right? It has the little letter has one arm reaching up and one arm reaching down. And so when you said that, the thing that I first thought of is how the Torah, you know, the Ten Commandments were first given with this letter Aleph that contains all. Its form is made up by Avav and two Yuds, which in the gematria, the numerical value is 26, which is the same numerical value of the name of God, the yud and vav which is the unpronounceable name of beingness, of eternal beingness. And so, you know, in some ways, what is being given is this little yin-yang, this little aleph that is the hand that reaches up to the heavens and reaches down to the earth. It's the connector. And so that is... Yes, like we are all keepers of Torah. We live Torah and we learn from each other and give to each other. And that is the Aleph of the Ten Commandments. I love that. And and also just thinking about that letter and about the sound of it. And that's the sound we go, ah, when we're like in a state of wonder 
<laughs> and in a state of of awe. I mean, like the, the word I was I wanted to say awe, and I was like, oh, that's like a little redundant, <laughs> you know. But it but it truly is. It's it's the word awe that is what is conveyed as well, and so that just brings in another dimension to me, and that's really beautiful. Thank you so much for for going into that. Yeah, and then and that brings me to to think, you know, what does it mean to touch on the infinite, to experience that, to receive that, to inherit that, to be in relationship with that? Then the rest, the other components of the Torah as we know it, which is to say the stories, the ethics, and the morality, suddenly it's like how do we, if we have an encounter with that which is beyond, which with that which is sacred, this sort of divine encounter, how beautiful, that's the mystical experience. But then what does it mean to actualize that and live it out? Then the Torah goes in and gives us all these moral codes of like civil law and morals and ethical codes. It teaches us that to walk in the ways of God is to walk in the ways of compassion, of mercy, of grace, and of justice and peace, right? So you ask this question of like, how do we prepare ourselves to receive the Torah? And I would say, I think my follow-up question is, how do we live out Torah? Like as we prepare ourselves to receive, to touch something sacred, how do we live that? And do we do that through studying? Do we do that through justice work and activism? Like, how do we really actualize it and live it out? And that's not simply a matter of uh, mystical experience that we may or may not tap into on Shavuot itself, but actually a lifelong question and invitation to being a human in the world and an active human in the world. And that's what it means to live Torah, right? To walk in the ways of our wisdom tradition is to to be very active in this world, how we eat, how we care for each other, how we pay attention to systems to make sure that those who have been oppressed are elevated and seeking and pursuing peace and justice. Really beautiful. And this also reminds me of, as we've been talking and preparing for this recording today, we've been talking about another tradition's sacred time that we are also finding ourselves in that also has to do with justice and with care and nourishment of of community in a very conscientious way. And it also has to do with the receiving of a very sacred book. And I'm curious if you would like to kind of introduce that from, from your perspective a little bit. Right, of course. So we are in the month of ER. And for our Muslim brothers and sisters, this is the month of Ramadan. And it just happens to be this year. Yeah, yeah right. So yeah. Ramadan moves, right? The The Islamic calendar is strictly lunar. So it is shifting all the time where the months appear in relationship to the seasons or in relationship to the Gregorian calendar, let's say. While the Jewish calendar is both lunar and solar, it has sort of checks so that the months move a little bit, but then they kind of come back so that, for example, Passover is always celebrated in the springtime. Which means that, so Ramadan can show, you know, every year shows up at a different time of the year. And this year in particular, it's so special it is coming right around during the time when we're counting the Omer and during the time when we're working up to Shavuot, which means that the the Muslim month that is celebrating and honoring the receiving of the Quran by the Prophet Muhammad is at a very similar time to our experience of receiving of the Torah. And these are our holy books, and these are our respective books of guidance. And when I realized that this year, I was so excited. I was like, oh, wow, how beautiful. Like, I know many of my Muslim friends are learning a lot of Quran. They're reciting the Quran. They're fasting during the day. They're sort of celebrating with meals at night. And when I think back to my many years living in Jaffa, Ramadan was such a 
special time. You know, there was special lights and amazing treats and desserts. And that in the evening, you know, my neighbors would bring to me in celebration. And it's, it's like, imagine like Shavuot, you know, it's like Shavuot all month. And so it's very unique that these times align. And I think that it brings in a lot of like siblinghood that we are preparing right now and honoring our inherited wisdom traditions and celebrating them and learning, you know, learning from them and asking the questions of what does this mean for me as a person in the world? Yeah, I I love that so much. And it's a beautiful, beautiful example of the nonlinear cycling through time and the beautiful example of the the parallels and the points of connection between traditions that there can be sometimes uh, a sense of a lot of separation between and and from. But I think that you and I identify as somewhat, you know, interdevotional. Interdevotionalists. Yeah, interdevotionalists, where we really recognize and understand that devotion to the sacred is something that actually inherently doesn't leave anything out, doesn't leave anyone out, and is is inherently profoundly and radically inclusive. And so to have this opportunity to contemplate these incredibly sacred moments in the calendars of these traditions is something that I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity to dive into and reflect on this year. Speaking of the sort of breadth of, of wisdom traditions and expanding this understanding of Torah in a way to be sort of Hasidic or mystical understanding where the Torah itself is is like quite broad. There's a beautiful pasuk, a, a beautiful passage in Yov, chapter 12, passage 8, that says, Siach la'aretz utorecha, which means speak to the earth and it will guide you. And what's so beautiful about this line is that the language they use for guidance is Torah. Siach la'aretz utorecha. Speak to the earth and it will be a Torah for you. And I feel like what we're learning from this is that while we have the holy Torah, which we are in deep reverence of and learning from and in relationship to all the time, we're being invited to remember that wisdom is broader than a book, even the holiest of books. The wisdom of Torah actually exists in our relationship with the earth in the you know in the earth beneath us in our relationship with each other with people and so rather than limiting we're actually expanding our tradition that what is holy what guides us what is a torah for us is both particular to the torah and way beyond it to include the living world around us speak to the earth and it will be a torah for you you can find everything that you're seeking how to be a person, how to be a good person, the secrets of the universe, wh- whatever it is that you're that you're looking for, you can find that in the earth. Yeah, and I and I love again. It, there's such a deep relational element to this, right? It's it's not just go and listen to the earth, and the earth will guide you. It's it's actually an instruction to go and speak to the earth, which for some people might sound ridiculous because we tend to objectify the earth. We tend to see the earth as, as non-living and as this kind of a 
this non-living separate thing. Yeah. yeah, this non-living thing that we are separate from and that even just the way we talk about nature is out there. It's it's different than than my lived experience, but if you actually study earth systems at all, it's it it doesn't take long to realize that we are living and breathing and speaking and talking and moving and thinking aspects of the earth, extensions of the earth, just as all all living things are that are within this biosphere. And when I think about the idea of, of creation and kind of the imperative to care for creation that I feel is so, so deeply centered in almost every exposure to Judaism that I've ever had in my entire life. It just feels so, so incredibly central, our relationship with creation and what that means to me is creation is this this world that we live in, the living world all around us. And this quote just feels like such a, a call to a relationship with deep ecology that is intersubjective, that there is no object here. There are beings and sources of wisdom that are in communion with one another. And that's me, and that's that which with which I'm communing, and that I'm speaking to it, and it will guide me. And there's a profound tr- sense of trust that feels like it's being enabled by that sentence, that there is like an invitation to a trusting relationship with the context that we are all nested within, that we have all arisen out of, and that that will Torah us, that will guide us, that will be the wisdom through which we can resource for everything that we need to go through in our lives, every every challenge, every hopeless moment, every tribulation that we go through, that that context will always be available to us, that the earth will always be available to Torah us, to, to guide us in that way. And you know, it is so like extra poignant then that the Torah itself was given in the wilderness. It was given in the Midbar, in the desert, you know, Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. Like it was, you know, the the, the sages answer that question, why was it given in the wilderness? They say, because the wilderness is hefker, meaning the wilderness is a place of ownerlessness, that it's not a place where you can claim property. (laughs) Something as big and profound as the Torah has to be given in a place that has that is an ecosystem of access to all and connectivity to all it can't be shrunk and turned into a piece of property it's something that we are a part of rather than it being something that belongs to me and so the torah of course it's given in the wilderness it's because this is our malchut like our playground of creation and as we shift soon, you know, the next week will be in the last week of the counting of the Omer. And for those who are familiar with the Svirot, the divine qualities that are given to each of the seven weeks between Passover and Shavuot that we count, the last one is Malchut. It's the week of the kingdom of the lowest chakra or the lowest sphira, the here and now, the physical world, our physical world, nature, where we live, where we act, where we do And so we've been counting from the more ephemeral, ethereal sphera towards those that are more physical. And it's like we're getting more and more and more into the earth. And that's when we have Shavuot. That's when we are able to receive. So beautiful. So beautiful. I feel that just in listening to that last reflection, some of the answers to, you know, my original question kind of just felt so so naturally arose within me of you know this question of you know how can i receive the torah 
in this significant, beautiful, sacred time. And I feel like there have been many possible breadcrumbs that have been laid in our conversation so far that I know I will, and I hope you, our listener, at whatever time you're listening to this, will will pick up, you know, this opportunity to go and commune with creation as an opportunity to to receive Torah, as well as turning to the wisdom keepers in your life of whatever traditions they may be. There's so much richness here. And I think that the biggest takeaway that I have in this moment is just recognition that wisdom is honestly everywhere and is accessible all around us. And just like our main responsibility on Shabbat is just to show up with presence for the the time that God has already set aside for us, show up with presence and recognition and allow ourselves to receive the Sabbath bride. That's that's how I feel about about the wisdom and and about Torah right now is just is just showing up for it, showing up to receive it, being present and curious and engaged and not just expecting it to happen to you, but moving toward that and allowing that to move toward you as well. Amen. Beautiful. Mm. So as we come to a close, what next, Bluth? How can people connect even more deeply beyond just in their own way, in their own relationship with wisdom, with creation, with Torah? What are some other ways that they can find guidance through this beautiful time of Shavuot? So with Living Jewishly, we're going to do a event. So, you know, follow us on Facebook and on Instagram and check out our website for details as to what is coming up for Shavuot. Stay tuned for some posts and little tidbits for Lagba Omer, which is a smaller holiday coming up in a couple days. And stay tuned with us. Every full moon, we'll be talking about the, the healing power, the teaching, the wisdom of our sacred time cycle, and bringing it down to earth in whatever ways it means to us now this year. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Also, if you like this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you can stay a part of the, the pulse of sacred time with us. We're so happy to have you with us and really excited to explore the months to come. Thank you. Yeah. And blessings that ER, like it says, is a month of healing, of growth, of preparation and of joy. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.